Hey everyone, I'm so happy that we were able to find the time to chat and get into conversation and I'm excited for folks to listen to our conversation. Let me just say why it came to me to have this conversation. So I was reading your book, En Comunidad, and I, as I was walking, as I said earlier, I just, I mean, I got to the forward, I got through the forward and I was like, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait. I really did. And I read it all over again. And I said, wow, this is so powerful. Just the overview. And then I was so hyped to get through the lessons. So I'm getting through the book. There are so many parallels with textured teaching. Um, and I'll explain what textured teaching is a little bit for those of you that don't know that are listening. But I, I was like, okay, I can't wait to get into conversation with Carla and Luz and just make some connections for a number of reasons. One, um, I'm a nerd and I like to do that. And then Two, you know, there's not enough conversation, at least I don't think, about how to teach Latinx, you know, emergent bilinguals and, and folks that are learning English and becoming bilingual. And I said, I want to have that conversation. I touch upon it on my book here and there, but obviously it's not dedicated to that, whereas yours is. And so I was like, I, I feel like this fills in a lot of the gaps that I left, you know, like the whole the whole sections that I didn't address, which was fine because that wasn't what I set out to do. But I just felt like this was a really good pairing for someone who is working in a community that is predominantly Latinx kids or even not like not the whole school. Right. But but it's enough that like you really need to spend time thinking about this. And so that's why I was like, let's make this happen. So I'm excited. And so very quickly about textured teaching it is a book where i where i talk about what it is to teach for and about social justice i try to make an argument about what social justice is and then the importance of doing that and how teaching for and about skills is not mutually exclusive well certainly already a parallel with your book right um and so i introduce a framework you know basically i, I think about culturally sustaining pedagogy and what that looks like in the classroom in action and so I um, developed this framework after all my years in teaching and talking with other educators who also do that work and thinking about how do I, you know, distill all of our practices into something that is really replicable so that it's not magic. There's also pedagogy there. Like there's a strategy. You have intentional steps that you take. I feel like we don't do enough of trying to replicate that, what the strategies are. And then you add your own sauce to it, if you will. And that makes you special. So anyway, that's a little bit about texture teaching. And can I just jump in with a question? I want to just get in. You know, in the forward, the one and only Ophelia Garcia talks about linguistic borders. And I've heard that phrase before. But I never really, I'm going to admit, I never really like stopped to flesh that out and to just think through it and meditate and study and look up what's what's out there on it. And when I, when I, that's why I said when I read this forward, I had to go back and read it again because I was like, I just have to make more sense. I got to let this sit inside of me. And so she talked about linguistic borders. And then I thought about how, you know, in one way, textured teaching also aims to deconstruct a lot of these borders, linguistic and you know, all these other borders that exist in our classrooms and, and how, even just saying, I'm going to teach in a way that inspires young people to aim for and work towards social justice is, is a border in and of itself, right? We have these borders in our curriculum 
where it's like, well, we're learning about this, we're learning math, and that's it, that's the border. You know, everything else falls outside of that. You know, it's 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 over there. We don't touch that. That's that's not objective. Uh, that's not neutral. Can y'all just flesh out for us a little bit? What what do you mean when you say linguistic borders? How do you think it shows up? And then tell us about comunidad. Yeah. yeah, and I can get us started. Um, thank you, Lorena, for thinking of this, uh, bringing us together here today. So linguistic borders, and when when Ophelia talks about linguistic borders, right? We want to remember translanguaging, and it's a, a foundational pedagogy in our work. And in your book, you talk a lot about, or you you ground your teaching, your approach, and culturally sustaining pedagogies, right? And in Comunidad, we talk about culturally and linguistically sustaining pedagogies because of the target population, right, of, of emergent bilingual learners that we wrote this book for, emergent bilinguals, uh, Latinx bilingual students, uh, children. So linguistic borders is really a way that in schooling, you know, children have been denied the opportunity to bring in their entire linguistic repertoire to make meaning, to make connections, right, to make sense of what they're learning, of the world around them. And so translanguaging is about transcending, right, these, these imposed borders uh, on children's language practices. And we talk about how do we create intentional spaces, right? Translanguaging pedagogy allows for those intentional spaces for us to think about ways to welcome students' entire linguistic repertoire and celebrate our, our children's dynamic language practices. And so that's what that's what linguistic borders uh, is really all about. Thanks, Luz, for I was thinking about uh, the images. I had all these images that popped in my mind, Lorena, when you asked that question and so appreciate always your like criticality with teaching, but always connecting it to what students are experiencing and the historical trajectory of those in power that have like eliminated or done away with like um, the opportunities for language minoritized students to communicate and, and excel and thrive. And so bringing us together is just beautiful. I love it. And I was thinking when you asked that question, I have this picture of, um, I don't know if you've seen these signs are really popular, but like those signs that sometimes schools will have in their classroom doors when they have dual language bilingual programs. And the sign will say, today we speak in English or today is Spanish day, today is an English day. So I have one like saved on my phone from my own old school where I had be began my teaching. Um, and it was, it was an Uncle Sam like clip art thing, picture. <laughs> and then yeah. it said, Today is English day, you know. This um, is just getting worse by the second. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, when you asked that question about like, and you know, Ophelia was writing about, you know, language borders and then Luz talking about translanguaging as going beyond that. And it's such a beautiful method of teaching. That's what I thought of is that many, so you can have on paper on a, what is called the language allocation policy documents that are public for schools that you can see what, what are they doing with the support where they say they're supporting students who are learning English? Um, and they say we have a bilingual program, maybe it's transitional and they have English as a new language, or maybe it's dual language bilingual, or maybe it's not a truly bilingual program in terms of we want them to be bilingual bicultural, but it's like we will have an ENL teacher and uh, it's assimilationist and we just want you to get to, we got to get to English real quick, right? But even within those that will say we are bilingual program you might find signs like that that are for strict language separation because the philosophy of teaching in those districts or schools start from the premise that languages are separate. You believe that 
and then you think that students are processing that way, then you are going to have your charts in one color for English and one color for Spanish. They are separated in different parts of the classroom. That's the way I was taught when I started in my own teacher journey. And it caused me to have a lot of questions because that's not the way I saw students processing information. And it wasn't the way that I, as a bilingual being, processed them either. So when I was doing research and, and reading more on the history of bilingual education and the struggles for getting access, there was that tension for me. So for me, it's always going under those layers. It's what do I see in schools? What do I hear? And even if you do have a program that's bilingual and you say we have support for children who are learning English, what does that look like and sounds like? Something that's, um, that's, that I'm thinking of now as I'm listening to you, you know, because our country is so segregated, right? You can be an educator who's never really had to deal with this. Unless you're in urban areas, right? Urban or close to urban areas that are in the places where you have a lot of Latinos. So whether you're in Florida or maybe in New England, right? Including New York or maybe on the Southwest. Like if you're in the Midwest, outside of Chicago, then you might not, right? Like you, you might not be running into this stuff. And so can you all help us understand what is so problematic, what's so harmful about demanding that students segregate their thinking and learning in that way? Well, I can, you know, I can get us started with that. Um, and I'm going to go back to what Ophelia Garcia always says, you know, especially when it comes to the context of bilingual uh, dual language education, it is important to create those spaces for languages to, you know, so that students have a chance to practice, right, to develop and work on their language uh, development. But we can't isolate the languages, right? We can't because languages are interconnected, right? Interdependent. And like Arla mentioned, that's not how we do language. Bilingual people don't like switch, have an on and off switch. That's a problem with the word code switching as well, because that's an external perspective of what bilinguals do. What we do is we read the world and we kind of try to negotiate as we, you know, depending on where we are, who we're with, we do suppress certain features, but they're always there. They're not, they're never off, right? And so we kind of just kind of choose which features uh, to use for that moment in time, but it's impossible to isolate our languages. And that's, that's the issue with this, you know, with this approach. And so again, you know, it is important to create those spaces, but we can't isolate because language is interdependent. Yeah, and I was thinking, um, Luz and I, we do we do a lot of work in teacher education programs. So we're constantly in grad school classes and workshops with teachers. And when we think harm, like what's the harm in in separating or not including or um, not considering translanguaging pedagogy? I think harm not only to children when we're talking about children like our young K twelve kind of children, but but we're seeing this harm go for decades into the adults that we teach in grad programs, right? So we start the book in Incomunidad starts page one, chapter one with anecdotes from our own interactions with teachers, with teachers who will say, I have been placed in a student teaching situation where my mentor teacher doesn't think my Spanish is valuable or valid because they learned, they as a white monolingual woman became bilingual by going study abroad in Spain. They come back and they teach um, kids in a New York City school, and then I have my Black Honduran student who was grew up raised in like a household and country speaking Spanish, and then comes to this place to grow in their um, 
educational practice is placed at the school and then the teacher tells them that their Spanish is not correct, but their Spanish from Spain is and not my students. That's harmful that we're talking about decades of a lot of trauma that um, adults are unlearning and have to like process and, and, and deal with um, a lot of shame around, well, there are these assumptions that I should speak Spanish a certain way. And so we talk about that language hierarchy a lot in En Comunidad. And that's where I found so many connections with texture teaching that in En Comunidad, we were talking about, it's not enough just to grab a book. Oh, look how cute. This is a character that has a word or two in Spanish in a book that's in English. Yes, representation. We're saying we're going beyond that. We want to do a study of how language is used in book. And we want to say, we want to create room for students to also try that out in their own writing. And then we have, a, that's a chapter on, on a chapter two and three, where we talk about using text for your own writing and for your own reading analysis. But then we go into issues of like power and issues around history of what's been celebrated, what's not. And that's what I felt texture teaching does so well. Like you have, I got, I'm going to read you a line on page 133. I'm ready. I'm ready to teach this book, Lorena. You say being at the next in the United States means understanding historic oppression and problematic governmental policies. Um, and then you talk about like the context that that part wasn't easy for them to relate to. And then the conversation with students when they started to get engaged, when you started bringing that in. And then you talk about, again, this isn't magic. You say it's an intentional strategy. So for me, that was the most beautiful part of, of writing this book of En Comunidad with Luz was what's our intentional strategy? What is it that we have in common when we design lessons so that students feel bilingual, multilingual, like the next students feel affirmed, but also you're like white monolingual teacher who is like the most represented in our teaching force in, in the US that they feel that Oh, well, they feel that they see like this, this is an urgent matter, whether I have five Latinx students in my class or zero, right? So no matter what context, this is important to talk about. I mean, I think some of the ways that I would answer that, that same question too, about how this is harmful is building on everything that you have said. I think that there's a, a we also have to think about what messages do our teaching approaches send? I'm hearing all of you kind of aim at and, and you flesh out of the book too is the ways that this type of you know segregationist style of thinking or you know uh, separating isolating the language communicates that you know right now this one language well this is the goal this is the one that we really should prioritize and we know which one that always is right the one supposedly that you need to learn for all the things to improve your life to be better to make it to succeed to have the job and where the other one is like well you know no you just in your home, you can practice it. And so we start to have this hierarchy as you talked about. And so that sends a message in all kinds of ways. And it actually hinders cognitive development. In my, I mean, right? Like, because if I'm not able to really use my full repertoire, then I might actually miss some stuff. And, Cause, and that connects to your, your thing on assessment. Exactly. You have like a beautiful section on like, what does assessment look like? And I kept thinking about, um, who's doing this really beautifully? Uh, Professor Laura Achensi Moreno, who's at Brooklyn College, City University of New York, and she does a lot of work around um, trans, adapt, like translanguaging and adaptations to assessments that are so monolingual, like designed by with a monolingual lens and then applied to bilingual and multilingual children without giving them access to use their full um, language repertoire. 
for example, and I think we give an example in chapter one with this student, I went to um, support when I was a bilingual supervisor for um, a teacher in a grad program, a pre-service teacher, and a, she was in a bilingual dual language classroom. She asked the question in the math class, the student couldn't answer in the language that she was teaching that day. And then she asked the student, ask your language buddy. The language buddy next to the student didn't know how to say it. And then the teacher went ahead and like responded. And then the like answered it like like all flustered and frustrated. And the two kids, like you saw their face, this was first grade. They felt like their faces were like down. They were just looked down, they looked sad. They were, you know, it's like they couldn't please their teacher. And I had a conversation with her to debrief about the lesson. I said, talk to me, like, talk me through your decisions. I just want to know, like, why you decided to have them just ask their buddy and then not, um, why couldn't they use the other language? And we talked about what we were learning in our class in our grad program. We talked about what she as a bilingual Dominican, like, immigrant, um, lived in Queens. I was like, listen, you tell me about your life. Like, what do you experience and feel in your body? And then what happened in your class today? And there was a big gap between what she was experiencing and what the principal had told her that you could not allow students to use their full language repertoire. And so um, we had to have this conversation as to what, what then happened. Like, what did you notice? they couldn't communicate right Lorena like you were saying like there's like maybe they understood but you as a teacher didn't even get to see that they understood the concept because you weren't allowing them to use the other language um we have a lot of work to do yeah but I feel like there's so much more because so many of us people like us right um are are in this field and are spending time thinking through and being critical of of what teaching and learning has been, is now, and can be. I feel like there's also simultaneously with all this struggle and, and with all of these problems that there's also this hope because my book alone is not the only one talking about these things and your book alone is not the only one talking about these things. And so that is great that someone could say, I have five books that can be the cornerstone for how I change my practice for the better. I did not have that when I started teaching and I just started what was that 12 years ago you know just 12 years ago i did not have the books that i have now they literally just didn't exist and so you know in this short period of time there's there has been a little bit of a revolution if you will i think adding to that one of your um characteristics of texture teaching is is it being interdisciplinary and i kept thinking about the power in teachers from different content areas having those conversations. So it's not just, oh, we have that one person hired in our school who's in charge of like those kids or helping those kids. No, we got to change that narrative. It's that we, and it starts with what you talk about in um in the beginning on positionality, right? Lorena, so Lorena has this beautiful section in the beginning about like, we have to unpack where we're coming from and our lived experiences. And if you do that in isolation, you're going to miss things. You can't think like, I'm going to leave it to that one teacher, the ENL teacher, or it's going to be the that one language support teacher. We're all teaching content that has to do with literacy. Like we're we're engaging in reading the word and the world, like Freire, Freire left us right with all of us, social studies, like science, math, everything. So why can't we have that collaboration and think, um, what is it that we have to um, do better as as a team and to grow together? So that's 
that's exciting for me when I hear about teams working on this as opposed to thinking we, we like, I got to do this on my own. Lorena, in your book, you talk about doing the work. And I love that you included a, a picture of a tweet that you tweeted out right a while ago, Def like, you know, providing a definition of what it means. What does it look like to do the work? And so um, I thought about you know, more parallels that I saw between your book and our and in Comunidad. And in Comunidad, we talk about critical bilingual literacies or growing our critical bilingual literacies, right? Which are these four guiding principles that are the, the framework of our entire approach. And so doing the work really aligns well with one of them, which is unpacking unpacking language ideologies, right? How do, how do those ideas get there about our languages, our language practices, our students' language practices, and how does that those ideas impact the way that we approach our pedagogy? And so can you talk a little bit about what it means to do the work for those of you who have, you know, for people that have not read uh, your book and um, maybe some of the connections you also see between CBL, critical bilingual literacies, and uh, your approach? Yeah, so I really appreciated that that phrasing that y'all use as well, because um, I've heard a lot about like bilingual literacies, bilingual literacies, and I feel like adding that piece of the criticality to it immediately shifts it to like, okay, wait, we're gonna, we're about to go a little bit deeper than simply, mm -hmm. you know, literacy practices. And, and sure. immediately, for me, when I see that, I'm like, okay, we're about to contextualize it, right? We're gonna think about mm -hmm. Talking, where they're talking, why they're talking, and why I, as a teacher here or an educator or a facilitator of the learning, you know, whatever kind of space this is, like I need to take that into consideration. So mm -hmm. that always interests me because for too long I sat in classrooms as a student where my education was very decontextualized, right? It was sure. like, we're going to learn about this thing here. I don't care who you are. I don't care who I am. I don't care where we are, what's happening in the world. This is the thing that I think or that someone said you need to learn. And so that type of request is, um, I mean, this is going to sound dramatic, but it's, in, it's inhumane in the sense that as a mm. human, we don't work that way. So I don't sure. think that it's mean spirited, right? I don't want to say that, but, but it is inhumane in that you're asking me to do something that actually is contrary to regular, schmegular human ways. So when I think about that framework and when I think about texture teaching and the demand that we're both asking, uh, or, or yeah, the demand that we're both that, that all of us are making with our books is is that we're asking educators and folks that are designing education, whether you're you know whatever that means. Like we're we're demanding that that people come up with an integrated approach. Ophelia Garcia broke it down on the forward. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. She talked about these integrated lessons. She summarized mm -hmm. that way, and I said that is interdisciplinary teaching and learning. That's what mm -hmm. it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. right? We're using different mm -hmm. language, but it's the same goal. Okay. We're taking mm -hmm. different streets to get to the same <laughs> because that that is truer to humanity, to learning, mm -hmm. and into processing. And then I think too, which I'm sure. You know, I don't know if y'all, I can't remember if y'all touched upon it, or maybe that's why I'm remembering, but but I know that, you know, coming from the countries that we come from, culturally speaking, it's a very collective approach to life, right? It, we're very much a communal people. And we think that way too. So I'm saying that because to honor who we are is to honor also how we think and how we process and how we translanguage. And so our lessons and the ways that we design learning experiences for students have to be integrated, be interdisciplinary and build that kind of 
background mm-hmm. knowledge, which is one of the yeah. things that I use intentionally because that's so mm-hmm. good by teachers. Um, so I was like, all right, let's let's call it background building, <laughs> background knowledge, so that we can have that conversation about how to go deeper. When a teacher is, is going to teach a new book, they're like, okay, let's learn about the author. You know, who's the author? When were they born? I don't remember when Nathaniel Hawthorne was born. I don't remember, you know, but I can tell you, yeah. <laughs> if you would have learned about maybe uh, the whiteness that shaped him, I would have been like, oh, okay, that's an interesting take, right? Like, let's let's really go deeper and understand the ways that these external forces have, sh- have shaped these books and or the mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. The way that we learn stuff, you know? And I, I know that that will hit different <laughs> when you've got all these kids who in front of you who are actually living in that critical life. I, I probably, this is kind of a little bit of a family secret, so I have to be careful <laughs> about this. Uh, but let me put it this way. You know, when national events occur, there was always a narrative in the news and there was always what I heard outside. And then there was a different story that I heard at home. You know, people, I won't name them, but people would say things like, ay, que los americanos no aprenden. So for yeah. me, I always had that counter narrative. So if a teacher would have included some of that, right? I know that I would have been like, okay, I, I could really have a legit conversation in here. Like, mm-hmm. let me really process this. <laughs> Explore all the possible angles to why this happened or how it happened. Mm-hmm. Instead of re- remembering facts or dates and timelines and this is what happened. And it's like, well, you know, but there's also another point of view. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Alona, for bringing that up. And, you know, that, you know, that really connects well to, I mean, we have a whole chapter dedicated to centering counter narratives because we know that so much of what we learn in schools is about sustaining that dominant narrative, right? And so we talk about, well, how does it, how, how can we create those spaces in the classroom for, for students themselves to do the research, right? To do the research, to, to find those um, counter narratives that are, that are going to be able to, you know, counter obviously, right? Like these harmful messages that they're getting about perhaps their themselves, their communities, their their home countries, and it's just such such a, an important part of what we're missing, I think, in education. And it, and I think right now we're seeing so much happening across the country. For example, we've seen over the course of uh, several months this attack on critical race theory, right? And that alone has been just whew, such a oh man, it's taken up so much time, so much of our time so much of our resources, so much of our, we, you know, we could be doing something else. We could be doing the work instead of, you know, arguing against, against what? I'm not, I'm not even sure. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about that teaching of, of counter narratives and how, for me, reading texture teaching and looking at the, you have these like interdisciplinary units, and then you gave an example of what it looked like in your own, um, in your own teaching it really aligned well with, in our approach, we have, um, we we started the book before we went into lessons, we said um, that every lesson that we were gonna develop was going to have culturally and linguistically sustaining texts, that it would also be around a topic that would be culturally and linguistically sustaining, and that we were going to center translanguaging pedagogy. And so that in our own even method of teaching, so not just the text that I'm picking, but the method that I'm going to use to um, 
relay information from that text will be one that um, sees no borders around languages. And then when we go into that counter in that chapter on counter narratives, and, and then we have also um, a chapter that also goes into thinking about um, the text that students are using to craft their own stories or craft their own counter narratives, because it could be around interviews that they're doing with families to get to know a topic better, or maybe it's through a book that they're getting to know an author's experience better. For us, it wasn't anything that was in isolation, but there was it was always in conversation with what are the dominant narratives that we also um, have heard of in our own learning, because we have to go back to that first point that Lorena, you made on positionality and that we make in the beginning where we talk about principle number one in critical bilingual literacies are that constant self reflection. So as a teacher, as I'm lesson planning, I'm, I'm, I'm identifying those topics, I'm identifying those texts, and I'm identifying the translanguaging method that I'm using. I'm also going back to identifying what do I need to do better in my own understanding of kids' identities and experiences. So what am I missing in this picture, right? What assumptions am I making? And, and we do this in like every workshop with teachers that we, every partnership we have with the district, like that's important because we it's not about the book list and i think lorena you do like such a beautiful job with um disrupt text on this and not about um here's a list of books and now we made it we got it or here are the book clubs we've engaged in because how many book clubs were, were schools doing in like the summer of 2020 right here's our anti-racist book club we've made it or we're starting to this journey and this is the book club we've got um but the methods are still the same like if your method of teaching doesn't align with what you're learning in a book, then um, yeah, we, we need to do better. So I like this thinking interdisciplinary approach in texture teaching, you talk about being flexible and centering students. And um, in CBL, we talk about in the fourth principle for us is like that celebration of Latinx students and centering their own ways of being, their own ways of knowing and ways of communication. and for most teachers, that might be something they're not comfortable with because that's not their own experience. And then that's why we have to make space to get to know those experiences. And so in, in, in Comunidad, we give a bunch of book lists. So here are some authors who are from these communities. Again, this is important. <laughs> authors from these communities that will help you understand what this sounds like and looks like. And not that one book can't do that, but it's a place that as a teacher, I can I can start there, you know? I'm, I'm thinking about, um, you know, this doing the work piece uh, some more because something that you just said reminded me of this idea that as educators, we're, we're, we tend to be very practical minded. We want to be, it's a good thing, but that can't be absent of that inner work first. Exactly. What's exactly. grounding you? What's grounding you in, in, in you want to create a worksheet. You want to create a graphic organizer. You want to create a cute activity. What grounds you in that cute end product? You know, like I've had, I loved having this conversation with my colleagues about our end unit. Like you always have those, like, what are we doing at the end of the unit? Ideally, you want to do that from before you teach the unit, right? You want to be like backwards planning. What's the right? I, ideally, yeah. sometimes when I do the And not everybody there. <laughs> not everybody there. So we, we're almost getting there. <laughs> so, um, was well, conversation and then there were all these ideas oh they could do these cute projects or they could build this they can write this essay or there's like oh there's a test on the book all right it tells me a lot for a teacher who says we're going to read a book and then i'm going to give a test on it and then the questions are this like recall did you do you know where the where the setting was do you know the name of this character that's a very different type of information or or 
or um, type of learning that you're asking from the student versus like my current projects, I'm, my eighth grader is going to pick a topic from a book we're reading. There are like five, six options. They're going to pick one. If they don't like my options, they can tell me of another one. Great. Um, one student came up to me and was like, I actually don't want to do the representation of children with autism in children's literature. I want to talk about children with autism and what that looks like. I'm like, great. Thank you. That's your topic. Go. They're going to create documentaries. They're doing research. They're going to create a little video clip for documentaries and they're going to teach us about this topic, right? That's very different than the here's a test on the book. And I, I love that in texture teaching, you talk about that, right? It's like, how do we um, consider our assessments and also consider student voice? Like what, what is it about students' communities that is informing my teaching and informing my own approach to teaching? And why should they, what is the skill? Why do they need to do that? For what, what purpose? And how is that useful to them outside of this classroom? You know, in, in thinking about this, doing the work piece, like, you know, when I talk to teachers, when I'm working with teachers and whatever capacity, there's always the desire of, let's take these ideas, what does it look like? And I, I love that conversation. And, and I like having that conversation because I've done a lot of that pre-work. I've done a lot of that self-work. So when I'm noticing someone who has not and they want to jump to that, then the whole, you, can't, you can't get over there until you do this know where you're headed and what you're grounded in so that the worksheet, the project, the book, all of that has a why behind it, a very clear purpose for why. So, you know, lose that question about doing the work is really critical, which is why I started with that in the book, obviously. That's why the student and the community piece is first. That's why we have to start there. First you, then them, then the what. What are we gonna teach? What lessons we're gonna engage in? What projects are you gonna do? What assessments? We'll get to that later. You know what I mean? But there's this other piece first, the human piece that we got to address, you know? I don't know if you're all familiar with uh, Dr. Yolanda Sealy Ruiz's Archaeology of the Self. I've, I've been in, in workshops with, um, with her on this, and it's been so healing because to go through the process, and, and, and I also see, I was like, oh, we got included her in this conversation too, um, because there is a, one of the character of, characteristics of that process is also thinking about the historical context of where our ideas are coming from. I love the like notes section, the, the place to have notes in the, in the, in each chapter, there's a place where you can just like process. So I have a page where I ran out of space because I, I basically wrote out my plan that I'm going to share with my principal on <laughs> like a whole series that I want to do with my colleagues on, but no, en serio, en serio, look at this. I believe you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like, I, you know, that that design, that piece, I was like, I want some space. To I love that. Because I know that I'll yeah. be writing in books, and I always got to do on the side or add a poster, which is cool. But I was like, you know, or we could just also add a page. This is a whole progression. This is like what might, it says, what might a progression of like this type of reflection look like at my school? And I have, you know, because what I appreciated too in this book, and I know we're, we're coming up on time, is that you, Lorena, you are aware of the challenges that come up. In, in taking this type of approach and you give recommendations, like you name the challenge and you give recommendations for whether you're trying to go for student-centered teaching or being flexible or interdisciplinary work. And then for those of us, you like you mentioned, for some of us, we've been doing this work for decades. It's not like summer 2020 was our wake-up call like it was for some, it, you know, we've been about this work. And you have that that section in the at the end of each chapter with your, when you have, it's called adding a layer of texture. We're like, all right, we already started this work, where else can we go? So I just appreciate you. This has been so helpful for me and, and, and thinking about this alignment is just making my own work stronger.
Yes, thank you so much, Lorena. And just want to say that, you know, it's it's not about the book list, right? It's not about the strategies list. Like that is not our approach, right? Yes, we can provide strategies, but the most important thing, and I think that's this is the commonality in our books, is that we do have to, it starts from within, right? And uh, once you are able to work on that mindset, on those ideologies and reflect on them and and really kind of do the work, right? Then you can start creating and teaching what matters in a way that matters. And I think that's that's what is fundamentally the most important thing here, right? Yeah, yes. Um, thanks for saying that, Luz. And thank you, Carla, for showing that book, Love. Um, I, I also been showing y'all some love. I keep turning over to it because I feel like there's so much that um, it's so practical, but it's so deep and thoughtful. And so I really appreciate that because sometimes a lot of these books about strategies are just that. Um, and and those are, I know that we want that. I know that we want the, the practicality, but it is not devoid of the theory behind it. It has to go hand in hand. And so I just appreciated that about y'all's book that you said, you know, these these people who look like me, who are me, like we we are important and there's enough of us that we need to really spend some dedicated time thinking about how to serve them better in our schools. Um, because historically our schools have not been good to us. They have not. Generation over generation, just to go back to the beginning, right? About how, what you said, Carla, about how it stays with you and, and it shapes how you parent. It shapes how you are in relationship with others and it shapes how you are in relationship with yourself um, and your community. And so I can't help but think the ways that we have policies today that dehumanize other people and we have ways that we interact with whole communities and that we perceive whole communities that are dehumanizing and hurtful um, and lead to racist and violent action. And I wonder how much of that is due to our education due to the book read, the history told, right? The, 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 the way numbers were used against whole groups of people, the way science was used to justify dehumanization. Anyway, I, I'll wrap it up by saying I'm very grateful for this conversation. I'm very grateful for y'all's work. It was healing even for me, um, going back and remembering some of my own experiences the choices that my husband and I have made in raising our kids intentionally bilingual, you know, intentionally making an effort to um, celebrate Spanish and and talk about indigeneity, even though we don't have that language, um, and talk about our cultural practices from Dominican Republic, and you know, making sure that that other isn't other, but just yeah. it's, it's it's a lot. It's just normalized, lot, right? There's just a yeah. lot of difference, and it's all good. And so your book felt like uh, so af affirming. That's the hope. And also, also thankful for Heinemann for like providing these opportunities and platforms for these conversations to continue because um, as you can see, they're like needed and they nourish our soul. They're, they're, they'll help us in our work as we keep going. So thank you so much for that support. Thank you, Carla. Thank you, Luz. Get Texture Teaching, get En Comunidad. Thank you.